His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to His and Hers Horror. My name is Tia. And I'm David. How are you doing, David? I'm okay. I'm okay. I, I think I'm okay. You? Eh, it feels like the year has been going on for six months already, and it's only February. Yes. I just... <laughs> I would agree with that. I just... I don't know. Time seems like it's moving very slowly right now, and I don't know how I feel about it. I'd rather it be slow and we suffer together then it'd be too fast to keep up with and mm. watch everything slip by. Okay, that's fair. We could play board games to pass the time. That's true. I don't know. It's just th- this time of year, sometimes I end up in like these, this weird, like, this weird funk where just, mm. I'm just kind of like, I have a very like, meh sense of like, nothing really seems to get my attention. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get over it, is what I'm saying. No, it's, it's cool. You think it's like a seasonal effective? Maybe. Uh, some, or, I mean, it just could be, you know, the end of the year, you know, in our in our modern calendar is is so packed with, like, successive events and, and things. And, and, and then suddenly there's, like, nothing to look forward to for months. Yeah. It's weird. But it's February. Yes. Yes, um, it is. Next week is uh, Valentine's Day, which I'm sure some people get a big kick out of. And if you do, great. Good for you. Yeah. Hooray. I've never really been super big on it, but, you know, that's whatever. Yeah. This is a very downer opening. I'm really sorry, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've never been a huge fan of Valentine's and all that stuff. And no, don't worry, folks. This isn't Valentine's themed or anything. No, we're not doing themed episodes right now. But I I always got irritated that, you know, we were always told, oh, you have to, you know, bring enough Valentine's for everybody in the class. And then I would go home with like eight Valentines and there was like 20 kids in in the class. And I'm like, what the fuck? I know. But then like the one time I'm like, I don't want to bring Valentines. I want to opt out. They're like, no, everybody has to participate. I'm like, what are you grading me and bringing Valentines or is this just obedience training? Yeah, I don't know. It's the latter. It's weird. Anywho. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So what's on the agenda? So on the agenda today is, I'm sorry, you guys, my energy is so fucking weird. It is. You're like, hey, let's record. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm and like, it's all right, like, it's time to record. And then it's like, yeah, exactly. My energy just screeched <laughs> to a fucking halt. But we're, we're there. Uh, we're here. We're uh, present. I know. We are. I'm awake. Uh, by against all odds, we are here and awake and, you know. Against all odds. I don't know what that meant. That's weird. It means exactly what you said. Against all odds, we are once again, in spite of the world, still here. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It just feels very... This is going to be a weird one, y'all. I don't know. I guess. I I, I don't know. We're Maybe my energy all, will change. Yeah, we're going to go all, all over the place. I'm going to fanboy out a little bit. It's going to be It's going to be a wild ride. Well, cool. Maybe your energy will carry the episode. I will do my best. So we are covering uh, the next two films for uh, Shudder's 101 Scariest Movie Moments of All Time. 
the first film we are going to cover today is a film, again, that we have covered before. I think we've had the past three episodes have all had at least one film that we've done before. Yes, but in a typically in a much briefer format. Now I have to check. When is the first one where we've never covered it? <laughs> I don't know. I think it might be next the next episode after this, because I don't think we've ever done... I know we've never covered The Wolfman, because mm-hmm. I've never seen it. And I don't think we ever covered The Strangers. If we did, it might have been back in season one where we barely touched on things. Which actually is the case with Black Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, so 1963's Black Sabbath, we briefly covered it back in season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was my mom's um, Patreon pick episode. Yes. She wanted us to do films from her birth year. And... The, so here's what happened. I went to, I was like, oh, I don't even need to write notes for this. That's great because I'll already be there. <laughs> um, this is back in season one and it was early season one when we were still kind of establishing how we did things. So I had almost zero notes on this film. You had like a paragraph and two bullet points. And yeah, like, pretty much. Cool. <laughs> so uh, Black Sabbath, 1963. Uh, it's a trio of atmospheric horror tales. It's basically like an early anthology piece. Mm-hmm. Um, a woman receives menacing phone calls in her apartment mm-hmm. is one segment. A Russian count in the early 1800s stumbles upon a family in the countryside trying to destroy a particularly vicious line of vampire. Mm-hmm. And the final segment, a nurse makes a grave mistake while preparing the corpse of one of her patients, an elderly medium who died during a seance. Yeah, so Variety Basket. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, directed by Mario Bava. Mm-hmm. Screenplay, uh, Marcello Fondato, Alberto Bevilacqua, and Mario Bava. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cast, we have Boris Karloff as uh, Gorka and the narrator. Yes. Which is kind of interesting to see Boris Karloff in something where he's not hidden under makeup. It, it, it was delightful. It's, it's like, I mean, it, it'd be like seeing the star of, of any movie. Like doing a little intro before the film starts, at saying, you know, hey, I'm really proud of the crew or something. You know, I mean, it'd be it'd be, be like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle Mercier is Rosie, Lydia Alfonsi is Mary, Mark Damon is Count Vladimir Durf, Susie Anderson is Denka, Massimo Rihi is Pietro, Rika Dialina is Maria, Glauco Onorato is Giorgio, Jacqueline Perot is Helen Chester. Millie Monty is the maid, and Harriet Medin is the concierge. Wow. I believe you on all of the things you said. Did I hear the name Durf? Yes. And maybe it's pronounced Durf or Durfe. I don't know. D apostrophe U-R-F-E. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Cool. I don't know. I just heard Durf, and it was like... It's the count who decides he's in love with a peasant woman after knowing her for two hours. Yeah, which... Okay, so it fits. Yeah. Typecast. Exactly. <laughs> so I kind of had nicknames for all the segments. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, the telephone, is where you have this woman who uh, she gets home and she starts getting these menacing phone calls. Mm-hmm. And it turns she she thinks they're from this guy that basically she she's the reason he's in prison and he has escaped. So she thinks, oh, he's coming to get me as revenge. Right. My alternate title for this segment is Play Shitty Games, Get Shitty Prizes. Fair. Uh, because it turns out that the person who has been calling her, at least some of the time, because it's not super clear, 
is a friend of hers that she kind of like cut ties with. And she was like, oh, if I use this shit to my advantage, I can scare her into letting me back into her life. Because, of course, she'll call me in a crisis. Right. And then she ends up getting strangled. Yes, she does. Yeah. Maria gets strangled. Rosie's terrified. Stabs a guy. I love this segment. I really do. It's the weird jazz breaks in the... I love it for it. I know. I, I Because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, you, you look at like, you know, footage or, or promotional stuff for it and it looks kind of old timey and you're thinking Boris Karloff and then it's like 1960s mod stylish. Like, I want her red phone with the black handle, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like just the whole thing and the just the whole vibe. I'm like, OK, I'm with this. This is actually kind of creepy. So I'm going to go ahead and let you go because I really don't have a ton of notes. And I, so go ahead. I'm going to let you fanboy out. (laughs) So the way I wrote my notes for this one was just kind of like if I were to write a fan review, I guess. So there are spoilers in this, you know. I mean, that's just kind of how we roll anyway, so. And do you want me to go over the whole film or just the first segment? Go for it. Okay. I'll I'll break in if I need to. Please do, because I'm going to need your help in, in the middle segment. (laughs) Um, but first off, I just want to, I, the first thing I wrote was the intro is delightful. You know, it's, it's grandpa Boris, you know, saying kids, we're going to watch a movie today and it's going to talk about some scary things. So strap in. And I'm like, I'm here for it, grandpa. You know, I do love, yeah, I do love when he's like, he's like a killer could be sitting right next to you. After all, they go to the movies too. Exactly. And And I'm like, you are right. Grandpa Boris Karloff. And I will think about that for the rest of my life. Thank you so much. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so the first bit with Rosie, like, if you've ever dreaded a phone call, like if you know you're going to get one, or you're pretty sure you're going to get one, or just, you know, getting a phone call in general is I mean, I'm of, a millennial, we don't like answering the phone yeah, in I mean, general. <laughs> I, I'm a very young like, Gen why X. Why are you calling I'm, me? Why can't you just text? Right. If you're calling me, there better be like, something awful has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just... The whole feeling observed without consent and the level of observation, it, it's not just stalking. It's its like, you know, hearing a voice on the phone saying, oh, no, don't cover your leg. I liked it like that. That's thats a call that's coming from inside the house kind of feel. Yeah, like they're, they're commenting on what you're doing as you're doing it. I mean, Rosie changes her outfit, I think, four times in the whole segment. Yeah, and he I think comments so. it on it every time, and it, or the caller does. And why did you put a robe on? <laughs> I like that one much more. It, it, it's it, it's it's creepy, you know, for a stranger to be commenting on your body or on how you look, you know, in a it, it's it's an unwanted way. It, it's it's definitely harassment. Why did you hide your money and your jewels? I'm not after those. I just want to kill you. Exactly. That's the overt <laughs> side of it, too. So it's like creep- creepily complimentary and then saying, but that won't matter because I'm going to kill you. <laughs> You'll be dead by dawn. It's like, hmm, well, close, close. Um, like the creepy calls are enough to like shake you up and 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 like go, OK, this is just like ramping up. But then we get relief when Rosie calls Maria. Marie or Mary. Um. Well, I don't know about you, but the version I watched was entirely in Italian. So all the subtitles said Maria. 
All right. Well, this castle says Mary, but whatever. Anyway. Um, but like she calls and it, it appears help is, you know, after a bit of banter, surprisingly on the way. You're like, hopefully, you know, this is fine. But then like another call and an unexpected twist. And do I spoil it? Go for it. Okay. Uh, people, we've been doing this long enough. People know that there are probably going to be spoilers. So this call comes in, and then we see Mary or Maria with a little little towel over the receiver on her phone on the old style banana shaped phone for you youngins. Um, you know, with the with the curly Q cord on it, and she's doing this voice like this and sounding like sounding like like the caller. That's and it makes me guess. Wait, has this been? You the whole time? Have you been doing this the whole time? But then I start going, okay, well, maybe this reconciliation was an unexpected event. And now... She's she's, just taking advantage. Now she's just taking advantage, finding her way in, and then everything's going to be fine. There won't be any more calls. And it's just going to be like, okay, I got a creepy soccer girlfriend. You know, but no, because she comes in and aside, aside from... I'm sorry, if you go over to help a friend who feels like they're being threatened, the last thing you need to do is joke about putting poison in their tea. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's like, no, it's it's just a sedative. It's fine. It'll help you sleep. You're stressed out. Whatevs. But then, dude, who apparently is the escape guy, comes out of a closet dressed as a Bob Fosse extra and just, like, grabs a nylon or a silk stocking. I couldn't really tell. It's old film. And just strangles the friend and then because he thinks it's rosy and then he realizes it's not and he's like always where you shouldn't be yeah yeah and it's like okay so this is a bad situation um and like there there's there's just kind of this building dread and then they actively give you someone to give you both questions and relief so now you're more focused on okay what's the motives of her friend you know, why is she doing this call? Was it the one time or was it all the times? Yeah. Like, how did did she just extrapolate the character from the time that she got called and said, OK, I'm going to run with this and just t- take tie up the phone line? Yeah, it's never super clear if it was always the friend making the phone calls or if she just the last couple ones were. Her. I, I don't know. It's, it's it's that SNL bit, you know, the David S. Pumpkins thing, the whole. Uh, you know, sometimes the scariest things are the things we don't understand. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get it. I love the vibe, love the atmosphere. Now, the second section. The Verdulac. Yes, what you said. The the Verdulac? Verdulac. Ver- so, Verdulac. So, so, Verdulac. Yeah, what is that? Uh, it is um, also sometimes spelled as, uh, or pronounced as Verdulac, mm-hmm. or... Um, Verdulac. It's a it's a vampire in Slavic folklore mythology. Surely, uh, if I went back and started playing Witcher again, I'd probably see something. Probably, um, some Western sources define it as a type of quote Russian vampire. Uh, and essentially, the way that this vampire is different is that it must consume the blood of its loved ones and. Basically, it's driven to consume not just blood, but the blood of the people it loved the most when it was alive. Mm. And it will attempt to convert those people to also being a Verdulac. So, so it's like a vampire MLM. More, Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Awful. Um, so this 
count or whatever shows up. He finds this dead body with no head and takes it to this local farmhouse where it turns out that the father of this family uh, decided it was time for the country to the countryside to stop being afraid of this of this Turkish man who was a Verdulac. Mm-hmm. So he told his family, I'm going to go hunt him. If I'm not back in five days, then something happened to me. If I come back after five days, kill me. Right. Because don't I have been, in. don't let me in because I have been turned. Do they listen? No, they do not. No, they failed at following instructions like so many people do. Because he comes back and clearly has been turned into a, because his skin is like grayish and purplish. He's got a stab wound in his chest. Dude looks rough. And like his dog, like his favorite dog is like barking and howling at him. Yeah. And everybody's afraid of him. And honestly, it's just very, like I get it. It sucks because it's your dad. Because when he comes back to this this farmhouse, it's a farmhouse where he lives with his three children. He has mm-hmm. two sons and a daughter. His oldest son is married with a child, so his wife and son also live in the house. So it's just like a very not great situation. But at the same time, if if you and I were in this situation, if you were turned into a, a, a Verdulac or a mm-hmm. vampire or a zombie, I would kill you. Thank you. And I would expect you to do the same for me. Absolutely. Because it's not worth it. <laughs> right. I mean, I understand the, oh, well, maybe there will be a fix. Well, once once there's decomposition, once there's like, that's that, that there, there's there's no oil of Olay for that. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's, there's nothing you can get, you know, in your, in your, you know, gift bag with a $30 pur- purchase. You know? Right. And it, like he wipes out his entire family basically in less than 24 hours. Oh, yeah. Like grandson and youngest son. Then like. The others. Yeah. And the last one that's left is his daughter, who this count has fallen in love with because she's beautiful. Yeah. Even (laughs) even though, let's be perfectly honest, in any kind of a nobility sense, he would never be allowed to marry her. Right. Like, at most, he could take her back to his, um, wherever he lives, like his manor or whatever, and set her up as a mistress. Yeah. But he would never be allowed to marry her. No. Anyway. Who are you? I haven't vetted you. Let's just rut over here. But like, he finds her turned also, and essentially is like, well, I would rather be with you forever than like, like, fuck off. You've known her less than 24 hours. Yes. Like, I don't understand. You get this a lot in, in these older, um, cause we had something similar in, in another older, like, 60s or 63. Another horror movie from the 60s, mm-hmm. where it's like, why are you obsessed with this person that you've known for less than a day? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, calm um, down. Was uh Vincent Price uh the Is it the whip in the body? No. Uh, I don't think. It was the there's like this girl that can't leave her compound or garden or whatever and and Oh, Rappuccini's daughter. Yes. Which was a segment I think in uh, Twice Told Tales. I yes. don't remember. Yes. Um yeah, his stuff with Yvonne, though, was sad. Because uh, he's a little kid. It's little not his kid. fault. Yeah. like I mean, That the adults around him can't do their fucking job. Yeah. But there's a lot of dread in that. There's, there's, you know what's coming, and you're seeing these people completely oblivious to it. Or when they question it, you see people talk themselves out of things or 
like even even if they're not saying anything, you you see them kind of curious, and they go, oh, oh well, seems seems legit. And you're and, like, what are you doing? That's the weird thing because it's like they're not oblivious. They or at least they shouldn't be. They yeah. can, they know something's wrong, and they know what the wrong thing is, but they refuse to do anything about it. Right. Oh, it's my father. Yeah, he's not your father anymore. And back when he was, he specifically told you, if I come back under these conditions, please kill me. Yeah. So the, your, the last request your father ever made from you, you are going to disobey it to your own demise. Does that make sense? Because I don't think so. Uh, no, it doesn't. So the the moving on from there to the drop of water... Whether you follow the storyline or have pay attention to it or are going, hey, hey, this is the last one and this isn't my jam. It's beautifully shot. It is beautifully shot and it is a beautiful meditation on dread Mm -hmm. that something's not right. Also a good rule of thumb, don't steal from the dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the uh, so Shutter's scariest scene is actually the drop of wa- a drop of water. Right. Um, so as we said in before, you've got this nurse Helen Chester who has been called to basically clean and dress a body for a funeral. Yeah. And when she shows up, it's this woman who was uh, a medium who died during a séance. And when they show up, she just has like the most hideous face mm-hmm. it's just in this weird grimace yeah not not the purple guy from mcdonald's no it's a like it's all teeth and like her eyes are huge and kind of su- her eyes are huge and bulged out but also sunken yeah which is weird well it's like the the fleshy bits around the eye of all sunken back so mm-hmm. leaving kind of the eye protruding a bit and it's very like it's one of those things where no matter where you go in the room, it feels like she's staring right at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have two professional opinions. No. Uh, so the first is from Greg Nicotero, who mm-hmm. we've mentioned before. Uh, still to this day, a couple of friends of mine and I talk about that. Like, was that a person? Was it makeup? Was it a dummy head? The eyes looked too real. It scared the hell out of me. There was just something about cutting back to it. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, even when she closes the eyes, she turns back, she turns away, and then turns back, and the eyes are open again. Yeah, that that don't happen with normal dead bodies. No, it doesn't. Uh, and so the other professional opinion I have uh, is from Rebecca McKendry. Mm-hmm. She is an American filmmaker. She's also an academic. She's got a PhD in film studies. Nice. Um, we see this fly buzzing around the room, and I don't mean like a house fly. This thing is like a horse fly that keeps landing on her. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody talks about how scary the old woman is in this sequence, but seriously, that fly was the creepiest part to me. Yeah. And she's, it's this, it's huge. Yeah. It's well over like, I'd say nearly two centimeters. Because it keeps land, it, at one point it lands on the finger mm-hmm. that this um, sapphire ring is on, and it's the same size as the fucking ring. Yeah. So, like, if you think of like a, you know, a more, uh, what like a a stone cabochon that you know, like an oval cut large stone yeah. ring, like an old. You see it a lot more in old timey stuff. You see it a lot of. Mm-hmm. I mean, going from like medieval times to now, you know, a chunky ring. Yeah. Like a crest ring or something like that, but not with a crest, with a stone. Yeah. Well, and and Helen sees this ring and and takes it 
And at some point during this, she like a cup of a cup of water gets knocked over. And so she keeps hearing every time something weird happens, she hears the dripping of water. Mm-hmm. And it's just this is another one of those ones where, yeah, it definitely is slow dread. And you're not necessarily sure if what she's seeing is actually happening or if it's just a hallucination. Is this your guilt? Is this, you know, oh, did I just fuck up and ruin my career? Is, you know, what, what is this? Or is this something supernatural? Yeah, exactly. You're not, you're never really sure. Um, Life doesn't come with an answer key. Yeah. One of the other things that I like. Oh God, I'm sorry. I said that. (laughs) Uh, So one of the other things that um, Rebecca McKendry points out is that, during this time period, you get a lot of horror movies where you've got the heroine who, despite everything that's happening around her, stays very put together and very beautiful, typically. Um, but that is not how it works in A Drop of Water. Like, at the beginning of the segment, Helen Chester is very put together. She's a professional. She's coming to do her job. Mm-hmm. And at the end, like, she's a sweaty mess. Like, her hair is all over the place. She looks like she had a good time last night. Or a really bad one. Or, or well, yeah. Or, I mean, I'm sorry. That was sexist <laughs> to me. That was, or, well, no, I didn't say with whom. Yeah. But, you know, that was, that was not as sex positive as I could have been. But her hair was tousled. Yeah. And she's that, just that, clearly that, been through some shit. Is that how that word said? I, I don't think I've ever Tousled? 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 I've only I don't know. read it. I've never said it out loud. And I just. Tousled? I, I just gave it a ride, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> like, I mean, I'd probably try it again, but it'd have to be in a safe space. That's fair. Okay. Are you ready to rate it? Yeah, I am. All right. So I gave this three stars. Uh, it's pretty creepy. It's very well shot. It's gorgeous. Um, The use of color is really nice. Uh, and this was particularly the first segment is like the first instance of like giallo filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely recommend this to anyone who's interested in diving into like Italian horror films, specifically Giallo. Yeah, it, it, and it's a nice sampler, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of piggybacking off of what you're saying about that. I I like that even though like I don't really vibe with the middle segment, none of the segments are overly long. Mm-hmm. I mean, the film itself is not it's not a two and a half hour long movie. It's. You know, around 90 minutes. Yeah, something like that. Ish. Um, and the thing I like about anthologies that, that are like this is that this part may not be for you. That's fine. While that's going, if you're really completely checked out, go grab yourself something to drink or something to snack on or you know, run run to the bathroom. Whatever you got to do. You know, I mean, if, if you're completely checked out, if you're not, you know, set through it, you might go, oh, well, I didn't like it at first, but by the end, I was actually kind of into it. That's happened to me. Yeah. No, so I I would rate it a three as well. Yay! Um, I apparently controversially love the first segment, and the rest of it's just kind of like, eh, and yeah, those are like, yeah, just don't don't suck it, don't don't suck at being a person. Yeah, pretty much. All right, so let's move on to the one that you're really excited about. Cool. <laughs> I don't think have we done any other uh, Japanese horror films before? I know we've done Korean. Um, let's see. Audition. Audition, We yeah. did audition. We did audition. Oh, gosh. We're going to have to do it again at some point. I think that's next year. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Takashi Miike is a great director, but he tells 
he tells stories in his films that I'm like, I don't need to watch this movie again. This is really off. It's terrifying, but I also, it makes me extremely uncomfortable. Um, but that, that's not where I, we're at today. <laughs> in a sense, just, 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 in a sense, I feel like that's probably a good thing that you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Because if you were like, wow, watching all of that, mm, that hit the, that's kind of one of the nice things about horror. Sometimes if you see something that's too graphic and revolting, it's like, okay, you know what? I'm not weak. I just know I probably don't want to be at the dismemberment party. Yeah. L- later on tonight while I'm making dinner, I will. <laughs> Go from dismemberment party to making dinner. I love well, it. Well, here's what I'll I'll bring up. I think it's still on Prime. Um, um, Takashi Miike's Masters of Horror film uh-huh. uh, imprint. Mm-hmm. I'll have you watch that. Okay, because that's the first one of his films I ever saw, and that was the one that made me be that made me realize I really only need to watch his films once, <laughs> and I'm good. Mm. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today no, no. we're talking about uh, a film by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Yes, who is not related. To Akira. To Akira Kurosawa. Right. I did ask that question yesterday. Asked and answered. Yeah. Well, because you never know, like, last names in other countries, you're like, are they common? Right. Or is it, you know, is it the Amer- is it the Japanese equivalent to, like, Smith or Jones? Not, I mean, not not all languages have quite that, that uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of Smiths and Jones. Right. But, I mean, there, there are names that, it's like, look, as far as we know, we're not related to these ones, you know, yeah. so what have you. Our second film today is going to be 2001's Pulse, mm-hmm. uh, also known in the original Japanese as Cairo. Mm-hmm. I have the problem where I, I tend to try and roll my R's no matter mm. what language I'm speaking. Supengo wa muzukashi ne. But yeah. So the plot, uh, two groups simultaneously discover evidence that the dead may be trying to invade the human world through the internet, trapping the living in their own loneliness. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, written and directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, mm-hmm. the cast, and I apologize if I butcher these. You'll do fine. Okay. Uh, Kumiko Aso as Michi Kudo, Haruhiko Kato as Ryusuke Kawashima, mm-hmm. well Koyuki which it's just Koyuki, that's right. her stage name, as uh, Harue Karasawa. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like Kurosawa, but it's Karasawa. So mm-hmm. you got it. Kurume Arasaka as Junko. There you go. Yeah. Masatoshi Matsuo as Yabe. Beautiful. Yoko dikimashita. And Shinji Takeda as Yoshizaki. There you go. Did you, I? Did, you did great. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, there was hesitation in there, but like, you know what? Well, and like, I, t- I took Spanish growing up. Mm-hmm. And so I the I always try and roll my R's even when it's not necessary. And I'm trying to break that. Yeah, because like, I mean, even in Spanish, like not all R's, are, not all R's are rolled. That is hard to say. Yeah, it is. So I have actually, this is a first time watch for me mm-hmm. for this. For, I've seen the American remake. Yeah. Um, A couple times. And I actually really liked your theory that the remake is not a remake, mm-hmm. um, but that it takes place basically a week later in the same universe. Yeah, so it's like staggered out. Yeah, like that, people, that's my theory. Yeah, like the, like these two groups in Japan figure this thing out, and as it spreads, then you've got this other group of people in America that also start to figure it out. Yeah, because there's even stuff in the remake where they're like, "I don't know why this works; it just does." Like the and, red, the red duct tape. Right, but then it. We'll we'll get into it, but yeah, it's. Yeah, 
Well, so essentially what happens with this, the essentially the spirit world starts to kind of spill over into our world. Yeah, there's apparently a, a finite amount of space, but like, you know, it's like when you get a computer and it's like, I will never need this much storage. And then like six months later, you get an alert saying you have low storage. And you're like, what? Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, considering every person that's ever lived and died. Right. There, there's apparently a limit. Yeah. And so they start to spill over. And essentially what they do is they, they trap people in their own loneliness, in their own isolation. Yeah. Because they don't necessarily want to kill them because that may, that has the potential to create more spirits, which is not going to help the problem. So they literally make a ghost in the computer. Right. So I, one of my main questions that I I came up with while watching this film is, do you think people with mental health issues like depression are more or less susceptible to ghostly influence? Because the thing is, is once you start to be influenced by these spirits, you start to isolate yourself more. And it definitely does come across as like a form of almost a form of depression. Yeah, I... So I'm curious if this would work on people who I'm I'm curious how the influence if it would like I said would it be more or less susceptible to it if you are like someone who suffers from clinical depression mm. or anxiety um if you're already taking antidepressants would it would that make it take longer or would it make it not work at all what about introverts people who like being by themselves does it work on them well, it seemed like the, and again, I'm not a, I'm not a brain doctor in any way, shape, or form. No, no clinical opinion, but yeah, neither of us are are psychologists yeah, or psychiatrists. Not medical advice. No. Um, but it seems like you know the the unifying factor in Pulse is less about depression or whether you're an introvert or an extrovert but more about loneliness as its own existence Mm -hmm. so you could be an introvert and be perfectly comfortable being you know in your space and only you know if you do decide you you want some some people time you can open and shut that door that's fine if you don't really you know if you're of the opinion, you know what? Fuck people. I just want to be by myself. At least I know I I won't be as destructive as everything else. Sure, you can do that too. But if you're not lonely, then you wouldn't be susceptible to that. Yeah. Um. But there there is something, and I I feel like, you know, thinking again, hearkening back to the, you know, the lockdown period of of pandemics several years ago, there did get to a point where I went, oh shit, I crave human interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see people. I got, I would see a coworker I hadn't seen in five months. I'd be able to tell them like how long it's been since I saw them, what date the last time they came to the office. And I was happy to see them. And I'm like, oh my God, I turned into a golden retriever, you know? So loneliness can be a huge driving force in a lot of ways, both positive and negative. Yeah. I did while watching this film, there was a moment where my brain remembered this uh, joke about like old timey medicine. Mm-hmm. And I wrote, so I wrote down in my notes, 
you have ghosts in your blood. You should do cocaine about it. (laughs) Also, not medical advice. (laughs) Also, not medical advice. But no, that's that they used to give you like cocaine and heroin to treat like. You got a cough? Oh, you need that. You need you You, need cocaine. Oh, you're you're really sad. There must be demons in your brain. Let's drill a hole in your forehead. Yeah. Can't sleep? Try some morphine. That'll do you upright. And then oh, yeah, exactly. Then take laxative how in the morning. Some, how about some opium? Yes. <laughs> Teething? Right. Just rub whiskey on the gums. It'll be fine. Get your baby drunk. It's great. Or cocaine. Um, right I do. You were able to answer a question for me that I've had for a long time. Oh? Well, because in this film and in the American fil- and the American version, mm-hmm. the thing that keeps the ghosts out is red duct tape. Yeah. And I've always wondered, like, watching the the American version, I'm like, where do you even get red duct tape? Because I've never just seen it on the shelf at Target. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something you would have to special order. And then I was curious about why it had to be red. You were able to answer these questions for me. Yeah. In in general, in Japan, um, it's the color red is considered, you know, to represent good luck, happiness. Um, if you think about like, um, like various decorations, uh, you know, you'll see like red cord or like red washi paper, um, the, uh, bamboo umbrellas. Yeah. A lot of times you would see in red. Those gates. Yeah. The big Tory gates, the, yeah. sh- the Shinto Tory gates also have that. It, there's been documentation up through like the 16th century to present about red being like important uh, to ward off evil spirits or or protection. You know, basically good things. All the good things. It's like the the it keeps the good things in and the bad things out. Right, right. It's thank you for summarizing. That. You're welcome. That was another random ramble. And you said red duct tape is actually fairly common, or more common in Japan than well, red red tape. And I didn't mean bureaucracy, bureauc- well, actually kind of, but I mean, that's pretty <laughs> much anywhere. Um, just have a few embassy stories. But like, I would say um, I've seen it. I would say if you're going to get it anywhere, Japan would be the place to get it. I yeah. Hopefully did, I didn't just like thrash, you know, some small company's website with, with like tons no, of I orders. But I mean, you know, help them out. Sure. Well, I remember seeing in recent years, you can get tape like duct oh. tape in, in various colors oh yeah but that's all that's been fairly recently that was not back in like 2001 2006 when these movies came out right that was very basically like it's silver that's it but the <laughs> thing i like about this whole thing and my theory about them actually being kind of partner movies or, or tandem movies yeah is in the original film, it's not explained because why would it if it's already culturally significant to everybody? You don't need to explain it. Yeah, like if, I was talking to Seth about it last night and they were like, oh, that's why it's not explained because it's a cultural thing. You would just know it. Right. Uh, sort, sort of a, you know, a, a Dr. Frankenfurter saying, I didn't make it for you. You know, it, this is this is set here. We know this. It would be weird. Yeah. Think about every... You know, for for the major, majority American audience, think about something that you do every day or or commonly that you know is really uncommon or even taboo in another country. Mm-hmm. Now, if you made a film, would you then say, I'm not saying what was done was taboo, but just like, 
you're not going to explain something right if the main market of your film is other people that are part of your culture it's like you're not going to have to explain it because they're part of your culture they just know it right in a film you don't have to have someone say i'm going to turn on the light and then turn on the light every time unless that's like part of like a suspense point but like we understand you turned the light on because it was dark in there we couldn't see either thank you for turning on the light yeah you know, it doesn't have to be explained. But in the and then the American one, they like um, Kristen Bell's character, Maddie, she gets like after her her friend commits suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets a, a gift, a basically a package from him in the mail that yeah. is several rolls of red duct tape with a note that says it keeps them out. I don't know why. Yeah. So there is no cultural significance here. They just heard, possibly even saw a translated post online because a lot of the stuff is online. I love the welcome to the internet line. Yeah, it's it's just very much like I got I got to see the Windows NT startup like installation stuff because this was 2001. Like yeah. this was not everybody had a computer in their pocket. Yeah. Time period. This was not even everybody had a computer like this was still internet cafes and if your friend had a really nice computer, that was pretty fucking cool. Mostly CRT monitors. There were two flat screen monitors in the film. The rest were all like one one guy had a setup that had three monitors and it was just this construction set of three monitors on a desk. Like I think about the fact I think about going back to 2001. I was a sophomore in high school and we had we had a computer lab. Mm-hmm. That was where the computers were. They were in the computer lab and there were some in the library. Mm-hmm. And then I fast forward to when, you know, my friend's kids are starting high school and they're being issued iPads. Yeah. So they each get their own individual iPad. And I'm just like, Jesus, how far have we come in 20 fucking years that we go from you have to sign up for computer time for the computer lab to here's your school issued iPad, you know? Yeah, technology's gone a long way from... I sound like so, an old person, and I'm so, sorry, but I am almost 40, so... Look, here, here, here's... there's there's <laughs> I found a silver lining for you. Yes. Colleges and universities, dorms, now don't have to worry about having a computer lab dedicated to people where, who are definitely wanking at 2.30 in the morning. That is um, true. In, like, Yahoo clubs. Uh, not, not a self-report, but just saying. <laughs> um, sure, sure, Jan. <laughs> but... Because now they've just got actually a better quality monitor in their hand in their and they can fu- just in their pocket, like, yeah. wherever, like, I'll go to the bathroom or in my room or what have you. You can but, read, you can read smutty ebooks. You can read spicy books. There's, there are apps that have spicy audios. Yes, there are. And Not sponsored. Am- and they're amazing. Yes. Uh- <laughs> and who, you know what, it. Reach out to them if, if they if they want to if they want to do a thing we'll we'll do it. But. I don't know if we're exactly their target market for sponsorships. Although actually, seventy eight percent of our are. listenership is female, yes. so maybe we are. Maybe I'll touch base and be like, "How would you guys like to sponsor us? We don't ask for much." And frankly, it doesn't have to be exclusive to female because she's had me listen to some, and I'm like, "Okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm here. What happens next? Yeah. Anyway, moving back yes. to, the, to the actual topic. Um. I feel like this movie is also very quiet. It doesn't rely on music mm-hmm. a ton. There, there are, yeah, there is a little bit of music, but yeah, it's, it's, it feels, there are different temperatures and different moods within this, within the film itself. Like it kind of shifts. Cause like at the beginning, 
you see a lot of people and it's it's day-to-day stuff and yeah someone dies and it's really sad and people are like okay well i mean we can't let this this tragic event just all drive all of our lives and we just sit here and mope we have work to do we have think you know so people get on with their life and there are times in the film where you're sitting here going so we're just following these people at work why is this person important so you start asking questions and then it leads right into the next thing and then the next thing and it feeds you um but it's i feel like this is the the grounded version i needed Mm -hmm. instead of this oh well i guess everybody's just fucking off you know it, it it there's there's a there's a more of a fantastical element to the american version yeah. where you actually you you watch someone dissolve into the wall well, you know and you actually they they actually are showing you like more malicious yeah spirits although i will say one thing that they do in the american version that they don't really do here mm-hmm. um is at the beginning of the film you know, it takes place, it takes place mostly on a college campus. So it's, there's people everywhere. Mm-hmm. The classrooms are full. You get about halfway through the movie and a bunch of people are gone. And then you get to the end of the movie and it's basically just post apocalyptic, abandoned. It's an empty city. Things are getting overrun. Yeah. Exactly. Well, they do that the city is empty thing mm-hmm. uh, for Tokyo at the end of, of the original Japanese version of Pulse. But because we've never seen the city full, I feel like it has less impact. The most we get is at, at the towards the beginning, like a couple of them, um, uh, Michi and Junko and Yabe are in a cafe mm-hmm. talking about their friend who has just um, committed suicide. And there's a lot of people in the cafe. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's mostly small groups of people that we see. We're not seeing like a sprawling metropolitan city. I have a thought and this just came to me. Okay. And it's and it goes back to my theory again on on the the two. Yeah. And the thought process of do we need to explain that Tokyo is a major metropolitan city in the world like it's like if you rattle off biggest cities in the world it well, gets it's like in a top 10 list. Yeah, but I just mean that that scene of 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 um the scene of Michi and uh, Ryosuke mm-hmm. driving through an empty Tokyo is less impactful because this is the first time we're seeing huge parts of the city. Most of the time when we see people walking around outside, right. there's not a whole lot of people. That's what I'm saying. Right. And this, this is going to sound really, this sounds shitty in my head. Okay. But it's the only way I know how to say it. All right. Is it, or maybe it doesn't sound shitty. I don't know. Is it possible the filmmaker decided instead of spending more time because this, this is a bit of a longer movie mm-hmm. um, in, instead of spending time setting up establishing shots of showing what Tokyo looks like purposely dating the film, would it be more impactful to say, Tokyo, you've heard of it. Here you go. And now you see it kind of, I mean, I, I guess I, I, I'm just, I understand your point. But like when you said, oh, well, we don't know what it looks like before. And I'm I'm sitting here watching it going, I do know what it looked like before. Holy shit. This is yeah, terrifying. Yeah, because you've been there. Right. So it was. Hi, have never left the United States. Have barely left Missouri. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you have to show us things. Yes. Yes. I understand. All right. So I have one fun fact for this film. Sure. Uh, so we mentioned Takashi Miike a little yes. bit earlier. Uh, 
he has actually said that this is the only film that has frightened him as an adult. Nice. Yeah. So, um, the scariest scene in the film per shutter mm-hmm. is towards the beginning and it is, uh, Yabe and the ghost woman. Yeah. So Andy Muschietti says, we see a woman ghost just standing there, not doing anything. And then she comes walking to us very slowly. And then she seems to fall and it was shot at very high speed. So that gives that ethereal sense of movement movement that is terrifying. Yeah. It, it almost looked like she did some sort of dance, like a, kind of a drop down dance, fall, stumble. Yeah. And recovery. But yeah. It's, yeah. It's definitely shot at high speed because that it's like she's moving slowly through water. It's like she should be walking very quickly, but because of the way, but, but she's not. It's yeah. very weird. And it's very creepy. Uh, Samuel Zimmerman, who I've also previously mentioned, he's mm-hmm. a film cur- curator. And um, he says, it's a ghost who moves unlike any ghost you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. The simplicity of this is a thing that should not be here and it is coming for you. And it is moving in a way that you can't process because you've never seen anything like that before is really stunning. It's like walking quickly at you slowly. Yeah. Well, and Yabe just keeps backing up and eventually just like climbs over a couch. And I'm like, honey, like, I don't know what you think that's going to do. <laughs> and, and I love how he looked underneath it. And I'm sitting there in my chair vocally and and pointing up saying, dude, she's, she's, on, on, the she's on the couch. Now. Look up. And then the camera goes up and sure as shit. And like, you, you just see, like, he looks up and you just see fingers. And then you see her head slowly poke up. And she's not even making any kind of, like, a menacing expression. She's just, like, looking at him. But it's just so uncanny valley. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of what makes it very makes it so creepy. Yeah. Um, so the last quote I have is, it, it's kind of on the film as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is from uh, Todd Kushigamachi, who is an American film scholar. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually lectures at like UCLA. Right. If you think about how many people have died over the course of human history, and then all these spirits have to go somewhere. And at some point when it became too full, they had to spill out back into our world. The way in which these ghosts make themselves known is, as one character puts it, trapping characters in their own loneliness or their isolation. Operating on multiple levels, both the fear of ghosts and the supernatural, but then the fear of the technology itself and what it's doing to society. This is a film that I can feel in the pit of my stomach. And for some reason, it's just that absence where somebody was there, they're not there, and then sometimes they come back, you know, as an image, a ghostly image, and then it could leave again. Mm-hmm. There's something about that that maybe it speaks to this idea in Japanese horror where the corporeal and the spiritual, that line gets blurred. You can feel that emptiness that is sort of the metaphysical level that Kiyoshi Kurosawa was working on. Because that is the thing that I have, I'm, I've kind of seen when it comes to looking at, at Japanese culture, when it comes to ghosts and the supernatural and the spiritual, is they don't, the general vibe I understand is it's, it's looked as just another aspect of life. Yeah. It's completely normal. Yeah. I mean... It's not seen as you're not seen as a crazy person if you believe in ghosts. Right. I mean, and from my experience in Japan, you know, I had some friends that were much more into supernatural things and some that didn't seem to mention it at all. I personally didn't. I didn't grow up in Japan. I am not, you know, Japanese, but 
from my experience, yeah, it, I mean, look at, look at all of the, the media that gets shared out. It's like, Hey, you know, magical girl stuff and, and all these things. So, I mean, it's, it's not looked at as like, Oh, that's a thing of Satan. It's, it's, Oh, this is fun. And so it is. And, and it's there. So. Well, and I feel like being in, being in touch with and honoring like your, your, your heritage and your ancestors are a lot bigger part of not just Japanese culture, but like Southeast Asian culture in general. Whereas it's not as big a thing in, in Western culture. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of expectations and responsibilities and, and, you know, within various cultures, Mm -hmm. Um, even our own. I mean, there, there are things culturally that you or I may do that if an, observer from another culture looked at they're like that is the stupidest waste of whatever you know yeah i don't understand it but it's their thing i mean i probably shouldn't call it stupid but i I live in the midwest i know how people look at our food yeah fried and covered (laughs) in ranch there you go um salads that aren't salads (laughs) trust me i know we're judged yeah do you have any additional thoughts i do all right um this movie actually made me go and do something I've never done before, and that is try to read Japanese characters in a mirror reflection, yeah. which I have never trained my eyes to do because, like it, like most people can read words that are reflected backwards, but your brain kind of does this record scratch moment where you're like, like you might even go, "Oh, is that in Cyrillic? Is that is that Russian? Oh, wait, no, it's just art. It's just in a reflection." Well, um, and poor David is me being like, "What does that say?" <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, well, I'm reading it backwards. Give me a minute. Um, but like written all over the walls um, is uh, Taskete, which, you know, is essentially help me. But I'm sitting here going, I the the kanji character that that I I've never tried to read it b- backwards. I've barely ever seen it before. So I'm like sitting here like going, what is that? What is that? And I was like, Kyoskete? I'm like, well, caution doesn't really... That, that that's kind of burying the lead there right. on, on the whole thing. So that that was fun. Um, but I'm like, why is it reversed? I'm like, oh, because webca- webcam. Yeah. You know? Meanwhile, Tia's like obsessed about wallet chains. Oh my gosh, the wallet chains. <gasps> Look, this is okay. So this movie, as I said, came out in 2001. Yep. Has very 2001 fashions. Loved it. And at the time, as I said, I was a sophomore in high school, and skater boys with wallet chains were still very attractive. Yeah, I had a I had a huge crush. Was it my sophomore year or my junior year of high school? I think it was my sophomore year uh, of a guy who played. Um, he was in he was in band with me, but he also played bass guitar. Nice. And I had a, the just the biggest crush on him. And yeah, wallet chain. <laughs> like, like seriously, if you look at the length of the film, you go, "Oof, this is kind of long." Forty eight minutes in, it feels grounded. And that's when you should probably stop and say, okay, am I ready for things to get wild? Because it does kind of start to build. Mm-hmm. Like, in the first 48, it's it's setting everything up. Yeah. Um, I love that I made a joke about, well, if overpopulation in the afterlife is a problem, or at least our problem now, apparently, because everything that gets fucked up by our predecessors is now supposedly our problem. It's like, well, stop the predecessors from making it our problem. Yeah. Make them moan it. 
But yeah, I said, let, I wrote, uh, let's go immortality. And then they start talking about a cure for, for mortality. And I'm like, ha ha, I'm smart. Um, or maybe not. I don't know if I'd want to live forever. Like, I know they talk about that whole paradox where it's like, if, if you're granted immortality at some point, at some time in your existence, you will be buried alive. And I'm like, mm. I or mean, trapped somewhere. Or, or trapped somewhere. Yeah. I'm like, well, you know, you can either have dread about every single hole you go into, or you can uh, just take plan steps ahead. to make sure that shit doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, I, can't, I can't be stuck in a cave underground if I never go caving. I, I, I have a very strange question, and maybe I missed something. Yes. There seemed. I mean, there is the there is a name of a company, Sunny Plant Sales. So, like, do do they make do, do they grow grow plants and sell them, or do they do computer stuff? Because I don't know why they have some guy doing so. Yeah, like research with a disc for for a week. I, it was it was so the um, uh, Yaguchi, I think was his name. Shit, hang on. Okay, Taguchi was his name. Oh yeah, Taguchi. Um, he was working on this disc to basically help the flower, the the plant shop that he and uh, Michi and Junko and Yabe all work at. Uh huh. It was basically to help with like finances and inventory. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. Okay. So so yeah so the it if you've never seen a movie about a flower company trying to get some software to just help their business grow, um. Here you go. Yeah. Good times. Um, let's see. Got to ca- go catch a ghost in a library. It'll be fun. Uh, no, no. My my first movie theater ghost experience was Ghostbusters, and that the one impulse was um, equally terrifying in a different way. Yeah, the library and ghost. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. Okay. Side note: first trailer for the next Ghostbusters movie came out. Ghostbusters: Frozen Kingdom, and. The library ghost comes back, and I'm so excited for it. I'm here for I'm here for this movie. It looks so good. Anyway, I wrote a note here. I don't think Tia's bored anymore after Junko is rested, rescued from the dark figure. Yeah, that figure that was getting very, very. Why uh, was I visit? Was I bored? Did I appear bored? You just kind of seemed like when is it getting? Because like you had mentioned, you know, at this point in the 2006, like stuff was popping off and like everyone was gone. I'm like, we haven't even established who everybody is. Rick Gonzalez dissolved into a wall and became mold. Yeah. Christina Milian got attacked in the fucking laundry room of her and Maddie's building. Um, the, the shape of these ghosts, they're, I mean, they're dark. They're not like, you know, they're not like cartoon sheets or anything. Um, you know, they're just kind of dark blurs, right? Yeah. Uh, I wrote, uh... Except for the one towards the end. Well, yeah. Uh, I've got a note on that one. Um, <laughs> now Michi is seeing the not-pictured version of folks everywhere. Like, if they're not pictured for photo right. day, they just get a little silhouette. Yeah. So, that that was a thing I wrote. Um, I feel like I'm just sharing, like, bad, bad one-liners. Um. Okay. Tia told a rolling chair to fuck off, and I was so here for it, because she was also talking about how the sticky notes look like craft singles. They, they did! There are these... Ch- <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know where this comes from, but... There were... Okay, mm. there was... In this computer lab that Harue and some other folks are doing research in, um, uh, Ryusuke shows up at one point, and it's basically trash, and everybody's gone. Yeah. And... He's walking around and then suddenly like a rolly desk chair just comes from outside of the frame and starts rolling. And I'm just like, fuck you, chair. And then there's another chair in the foreground 
that has these yellow post-it notes in it or like all over the all over the seat mm-hmm. but the the color of the post-it notes is the exact same shade of yellow as craft american cheese singles so I'm looking around at all these yellow post-it notes and I'm like, somebody got hungry. <laughs> yeah. See, when I saw all those post-it notes, all I could think of was Prey, the the video game Prey. Oh, not where they start labeling things, not a mimic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, basically. Okay. Every, everything that's got a post-it note on it is safe. So unless, I'm like, that chair is extra safe unless the mimics the are post-it, post-it notes. The post-it notes are mimics also. Yeah. Um. Let's see, I got a couple notes here that there were more uh, wallet chain callbacks, so you really loved your uh, Yosuke's... Ryusuke had a shiny double wallet chain. It was so pretty. <laughs> um, there was a there were a couple lines in the film that I was like, that's a really deep take. Like, uh, ghosts and people are the same. I mean, if we can both occupy the same type of space and we both want the same things, we're essentially the same. Because ghosts used to be people. Yeah. Uh, I guess, from from a certain point of view. Um, oh God, yes, the worst thing I've ever written. So at one point, so one of the characters' name is Junko, and Tia said Junko jeans, and I'm like, uh, Junko jeans. I'm like, yeah, not, yeah, not quite. And so I wrote, it was 2001. So I wrote, and so ends the Junko jeans jokes because Junko is polka dots. Because she turned into polka dots. She turns into ash. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it w- again, with the graphics, it was 2001, so, you know, yeah. but still. Um, Haruwe's sweet, smart, Yusuke's awkward and passionate. Will they make it through this? I wonder, mm, I don't know. No. Um, I love, I love that they were able to print out for the Forbidden Room. Yeah. Um, which actually feels like it's hearkening back to the, uh, the Red Room. Uh, creepy pasta. Yeah, but I can't confirm that. Um, once they got to the vending machine moment, which if you watch the movie, you know exactly what I talk about when I say the vending machine moment. It's after the first half of the film. Yeah, it feels very much twenty eight days later. It does. Like everything, like the vending machine. Just they go to you know vend an item and then Ryusuke just, just kind of pulls it yeah. pulls the door open and like everything and like just all falls these out. drinks just fall to the ground <laughs> so it's like okay so um do i need to report this or is this just how things are now right um Haraway's end actually hit me really hard uh that that was rough uh oh um pro tip for anyone who thinks they might be living in a horror movie moment if something in your hand that you need rolls away from you into like a dark space, like you can't see, I don't care if it's under a fridge. I don't care if it's, be- you know, between the wall and the stove. I don't care if it's figure out a way to live without a, it. A dark door in an unfamiliar place. If this is not your space that you know is safe, it's gone. Yeah. Go get another one. If you don't have another one, make do. Figure out a way to live without it. Your friend walks off into the dark room and you don't hear them and you call out to them and you don't hear them. Um, that I friend mean, is gone. <laughs> at that time, you're just like, okay, I can't count on that person to be like, okay, I'm back and let's go. Yeah. Um, the ghost also kind of gave like the Dead President's movie poster vibes. The the very last one that um, yeah. Ryusuke. The the white faced ghost. Yeah. Or something. Um, and one one thing I do want to point out because like I you know we we talked a little bit about loneliness and stuff. Um, 
And it's, it can be easy to be like, oh, well, you know, just call a friend. It's not always that easy. In fact, um, Japan has a minister of loneliness. It, it's actually, um, I think it's actually a longer title. It's like, but like, it's, it's a thing. The World Health Organization has, you know, this past November, November in 2023, declared loneliness a global health, a global public health concern. Well, and that's the thing. It's like people like people who have, you know, depression and anxiety and have built, you know, dealt with that for years. We know all about like masking and how to appear okay when we're not okay. Yeah. Because for the most part, depending on where you live, people don't actually care. Like when someone says, how are you doing? They don't want a real answer. Um, You weird them the hell out if you're like. Uh, not bad, a bit constipated, but other than that, I'm doing okay. Right foot kind of hurts it's a like, little. Well, I'm in a, I'm in a depressive phase where nothing interests me, and I just mm. kind of want to sit here and do nothing. You, it, it's hard for the for people who don't know what that's like to understand it. Wouldn't that be wild if if like people were like, "Hey, how are you doing?" I'm like, "Actually, I'd rather be home masturbating." You? What? Wow. <laughs> you know? Okay. Look, I mean, if you're not doing nothing, you know. <laughs> That's fair. It's like, look, it it actually be more constructive. Well, like with me, I get into these, I get into these what I de- what I describe as depressive um, moop phases. Moop phases where yeah. um, I can't find, I can't figure out what I want to do to entertain myself because nothing seems interesting. Yeah, I don't want to read. I don't want to watch a show. I don't want to listen to a podcast. I. I feel like I should be doing something, but I don't want to do anything. Yeah, I I identify that sometimes. Like I'll I'll start a, start watching a video or a movie or something, and then I'll be like, Nah, nah, not this one. And it'll be like you know thirty seconds, five minutes doesn't matter. Or I'll start playing a video game, and I'm like, Maybe a different game. Right. And then you, there have been times where I've just kind of sat here and I just doom scrolled on the news because I'm like, it's technically not pausing at anything, so it's. Right. It's still noping. It's just noping everything. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing where I'll just randomly scroll through TikTok because I can't think of anything else to do. But, and, and this, I feel like that is, what am I trying to say here? Have we created our own prison of, of, of this type of See, I don't, thing? I don't think we have because here's the thing. It's, when it comes to things like depression and anxiety, that's, I mean, that's a medical condition. Right, right. I just meant with, like, the finding entertainment and trying to... Yeah. You know, it's like we're always trying to get a rush. Yeah. Just to feel a little better for the moment. Mm-hmm. So I would give this movie four stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a slow build, creeping dread kind of a film. Uh, I do feel like this is one of the, another one of those where you kind of have to put your phone away. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, I mean, I was... <laughs> I felt kind of shitty because there were times where I noticed you were like trying to take notes and, and you're like, like, like actively like eyes on screen, actively like looking at stuff. And I'm sitting here like not even looking at the screen and, and writing notes while, while like a piece of dialogue is going on. I'm like, I'm cheating. I got the cheat code. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of hard to take notes on a film that has where you actually need the subtitles because the film is in another language. (laughs) Because you have to like folk, you have to pay attention to what's going on so you can read what the characters are saying. Um, I was able to take a significant, a a decent amount of notes. I was more trying to also just experience the film Mm -hmm. because I'd never seen it before. Right. 
So. And I was happy actually with the subtitles. Uh, you know, a lot of times I see subtitles. And I'm like, ah, that that's that's not. That's not what they said. Like it doesn't transliteration is not what anyone wants, but that's what people think they want. We had that. We had something similar when we did uh, "Let the Right One In," where we had on the dubbing and the subtitles, and they didn't match at all because <laughs> because the subtitles were a direct translation, yeah. as whereas the the dubbing was just kind of like, well, here's the gist of what they're saying. This is the context in this language. Yeah, where yeah. we basically ended up turning the dubbing off and switching back to the original language because it was easier. Yeah, it was it was closer. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, did you did you rate? I'd, I'd give it a solid four at least. Okay. Um, I'd, I would put it in contention of giving it a five. Um, I'd probably have to do a few more rewatches to... That's fair. ...really let it sink in. Because, again, this was a first-time watch, so it's like... I think it's excellent. Mm-hmm. This one's going to stick with me a lot better than the the first one that I saw, which was the, the American remake, which... Yeah. Other than the tape thing and a few brief images, I can't even picture the film in my head. And I don't miss it. Fair. I mean, the, nothing against the cast or the film itself. It's just this one kind of hit different. Yeah, I get that. All right. So I think that's going to do it for us today. Yeah. Uh, as always, you can follow us on the social medias. We're still on all of them. I don't say much, though, just because the world is kind hard and weird right now. And it's kind of hard to get excited about things when there's a genocide happening in various places. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's a feeling. Um, but yeah, you can follow us on all the things. Uh, we also have a website, h2horrorcast.com. You can also support us on Patreon. We are uh, patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you to our current patrons, uh, my mom mm-hmm. and our friend Liz and Eduardo. Thank you guys for your continued support. Yes, thank you so much. Yep, because, you know, physical media is a thing we need to get now for various things. And that's helping. So, hooray! <laughs> um. You can also rate and review us on platforms where that is an option. Absolutely. Uh, I am very proud to say that we currently have a rating of 4.9 on iTunes. Holy shit. Nice. All of our reviews on iTunes are five stars except for one, which is a three. Fair. We also have um, seven ratings on Spotify and they're all five stars. Oh, beautiful. I know. So. Well, thank you all. I would love more constructive criticism if people want to send us an email uh, oh, yeah. H- h2horrorcast at gmail.com or if you want to send us a message on one of the social media platforms that we are on I I studied literature and creative writing in college and so having a creative outlet but not really getting a whole lot of constructive criticism is very it Scary. can be kind of stressful yeah it can be yeah I was having this conversation with uh, with Caitlin who um I've known her for a long time. She she does my hair and she does mm. mom's hair. And she was like, how's the podcast going? I was like, good, I guess. And no one really, you know, we don't really know because no one really tells us anything. She's like, well, you guys have good banter. I think you're doing well. Okay. And I'm like, all right, cool. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> banter badge earned. Right, exactly. Uh, she also did comment that I swear a lot more than you, which is valid. 
look, there was this whole thing in the Navy at the time. It, it was like, you know, profan- Curse like a sailor. profanity is not leadership language. And, you know, sailors, you know, we've got this reputation for things. But yeah, you know, so it's like, I don't know. I'm trying to find something because there was a coffee mug that used to, I felt I identified with very strongly. Yeah, there was some coffee mug I saw once that had something, said something lines of like, I don't. I don't slur my curse words. I enunciate them like a fucking lady or something like that. Love it. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I couldn't find it. So I don't know the exact phrasing, but yeah. Yeah, but like, I guess they were just trying to get rid of the swear like a sailor eh. thing. So. Whatever. Fuck it. Yeah. Well, plus I, I <laughs> generally don't use much profanity at work, so. That's true. All right. So until next time, I'm Tia. And I'm still David. And stay spooky, friends. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon.